Hi, welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. As always, you can email us at food at markbittman.com and we will answer. We'd love to hear from you, whatever it is you want to say. Please also subscribe to this podcast and rate it wherever you get your podcasts and take a look at our newsletter too, The Bitman Project at bitmanproject.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. 
When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. A year ago, almost to the day, we ran an interview I did with Bill McKibben, the fabulous Bill McKibben, a friend of mine and one of the frontliners in the war against the climate crisis. Bill has referred to the climate emergency as a war, actually. I wrote about this on the Bittman Project a couple of weeks ago, his suggestion that we treat the climate crisis the way we treat a big war, by gearing up, rallying the troops, attacking and defeating. It's imagery that some of my friends don't like, and I get it. But to me, it makes more sense than the mindset that says, well, if we dither around, then small changes are made gradually. It won't affect most of us. The most of us, meaning the wealthiest of us. Anyway, regardless of how you want to think about it, the fact remains that Bill is and has been for a very long time a visionary when it comes to this very real, very much here emergency. And unlike the majority of us, and certainly unlike our government, he takes very real action, which you'll hear about here. Even if you listened last year, I recommend listening again. Bill's inspiring and smart. I certainly look up to him. This is a terrific conversation. I was hoping you could tell us a little about your journey and the book, The Flag, The Cross, and The Station Wagon, which is your most recent book, is very much an American story, a, a lot about Lexington, Mass., where you grew up in part. and But it's very much a Bill McKibben story, not so much a climate story. And I think your journey just hasn't been a straight line, not that anyone's is. But one of the things I think you and I have in common is a willingness to see things from new perspectives. And you keep changing. Um, even Falter wasn't really about climate, per se, and the new book certainly isn't. And and you've even started a sort of new movement in recent years. So, I, I mean, if you just spend a few minutes saying how you got to this place and where you're at, I think I'd like to hear that. Absolutely. Look, I've never written the slightest bit of memoir on the theory that my life has mostly been unperturbed. I came of age in the probably the easiest possible moment in the easiest possible place right as uh, American suburban prosperity was cresting in the late 60s and the 1970s at a moment when it seemed as if the world was on an uptick. Yes, it had problems. There were assassinations. The war in Vietnam was still raging. But clearly things were poised to get better. We just decided that women were going to be full parts of our society. The civil rights movement was at its apex, and we'd passed the Voting Rights Act. The anti-war movement was making the case that there were other ways to solve problems. Maybe most importantly of all, the first Earth Day 
1970 bought 20 million Americans into the streets, 10% of the then population. And so I think it was um, reasonable that uh, a young person looking out from that modest paradise that early suburbia represented might have thought that the world was on track. And it's all the more shocking then now to kind of pick up one's head 50 years later and just wonder, as the subtitle of the book has it, what the hell happened? How did we end up here? Even in the last few weeks, we've watched the Supreme Court one after another repudiate precisely those gains from precisely that period. Roe v. Wade from 1973, the EPA and the Clean Air Act from 1971, the Voting Rights Act from 1965, uh, the Gun Control Act of 1968, uh, you know, on and on and on. And the Transition between the two of them seemed crucial to me. And so I reconsidered, perhaps in my absolutely typical early years, uh, one could find some of the seeds for that wild transition between different realities. Can you talk for a little bit about the importance of the 1980 election or the years just before and after that? Because to me, if they're if there was a so-called end of history or the beginning of the end of history, it was that. I completely agree with you. I think it's the most um, fateful decision in our, our time on this planet was that election. And it, that's why it turns out that the 1970s was such a fascinating hinge decade. Uh, we came in on this kind of optimistic wave, still riding the kind of solidarity that had gotten America through the Depression and the Second World War, and that dominated a kind of consensus life uh, in the post-war decades. Uh, the idea, above all, that we were building a better society, as uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson would have had it, you know, or a beloved community, as Dr. King would have had it. And, and somewhere that notion broke down. And by 1980 and the election of Ronald Reagan, uh, we'd entered a different world where we were no longer thinking about society. We decided that the important unit to think about was the individual. Uh, as Reagan's great friend Maggie Thatcher put it, there is no such thing as society. There are only individual men and women. And so market forces were now going to be the thing that solved problems. Government, which is just another word for all of us working together to try and make some progress, government was now the problem, not the solution, uh, 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 on and on and on. Two things I think happened dramatically in that decade to get us there. Many things happened, but two of them were, one, man, we really got rich, uh, this incredible rise in property values uh, in the American suburbs transformed people uh, quite quickly, made that prosperity very real, and people decided that they were going to defend it at almost any cost. So by 1978, California was passing Proposition 13, the Anti-Tax Act, echoed around the world, um, or at least around the country. And the other thing that happened were the great oil shocks of the 1970s, uh, the two gas crises that produced long lines at the pump and rationing, and to which we could have reacted in two ways. 
one exemplified by Jimmy Carter, who put solar panels on the roof of the White House and put in his last budget money that would have had the U.S. aiming to produce 20% of its energy from the sun by the year 2000. Um, Had we done that, and this was before we even knew about climate change, our ability to deal with global warming would have been infinitely better. But the other path was represented by Ronald Reagan. Double down on the status quo. uh, Drill everywhere. Rip those solar panels off the roof of the White House because, you know, renewable energy was for sissies. And that was a powerful mistake. Uh, Maybe the most powerful mistake we've ever made. But we've been locked in Reagan's world ever since. Obama uh, asked by interviewers a year ago, why he'd made so little progress when he still had 60 senators in a Democratic majority in the Senate, said, we were still operating under the kind of implicit rules that Reagan had laid down, uh, that market forces were the key thing, that we couldn't interfere. Um, Joe Biden's trying now, I think, to kind of resurrect a little bit of that 60s, 70s era, his Build Back Better bill harkens back to LBJ and the Great Society. But it's not passed yet, and it's not passed because of the implacable opposition of Republicans in the Reagan mold, and because Joe Manchin, who's taken more money from the fossil fuel industry than anybody else in Washington, has made sure that it doesn't pass. So we're living again through gas crises and things. There are moments when it feels like we're echoing that history of the 1970s all over again. I wonder if it was it was necessary for Obama to make the mistakes that he made in order for Biden to be able to see, not to repeat them. Because, well, anyway, another discussion, I suppose. Yeah, that's certainly possible. Um, and one feels for Biden, he's been dealt a difficult hand. Uh, and one hopes he figures out some ways to play it more cleverly than so far. It's kind of funny Almost everyone I know thinks that their adolescence took place during a turning point in history. And I, um, you talk about the 70s exactly the way I talk about the 60s, but I, you know, I do understand their relationship, but it's, it's kind of funny. But I want to talk about racism for a minute because you do address it in, uh, at length in, um, in the new book. I was born in 1950. If you were born then, you were born at a time where not only was systemic racism, was there systemic racism, but it was sort of okay to be racist. It was like officially okay, federally okay, because it was even before Brown versus Board of Education and long before the Civil Rights and Voting Acts and and other things that actually made it officially not okay to be a racist. I mean, whether how much they... Change things is obviously debatable, but there was a change in the culture where most people couldn't and wouldn't walk around white people being as racist as their grandparents. And um, I think that made many of us young people hopeful and optimistic. But as you say, people of color and especially descendants of slaves may have been helped by changes in official policy, but those policies have never changed enough for the, let's say, 400-year head start that white people were officially granted when it came to accumulating wealth in this country. So I'm quoting you here, and you say, it is long, long past time to talk about reparations. And um, 
wondering what we do when we say things like that. You focus on housing, but like agriculture, housing is ultimately about land, and it was land that slaves and their descendants were deprived of. Right. Well, I try to tell the story with uh, uh, of the town where I grew up in, because I think it's a very interesting one. Uh, Lexington, Massachusetts, which lays claim to being the birthplace of American liberty, uh, was quite a liberal community in many ways in those days. It voted for George McGovern. Uh, Martin Luther King had come to town in the 1960s and been given the you know hero's welcome that he deserved. Everybody in town crowding into the high school to hear him. But in 1971, uh, Lexington considered the first its first plan for a modest, affordable housing development. Uh, it would have been a hundred units of you know multifamily uh, a, a apartment in Lexington, and all the town fathers and they were all fathers in those days were in favor of it, uh, and the clergy were all in favor of it, and uh, so on and so forth. It was seen as uh, living up to our responsibility in the civil rights movement, but then they put it up to a referendum, and. Uh, large turnout among Lexington voters, and they voted it down two to one. Um, There are, in fact, smaller percentage of black people in Lexington now than there were 50 years ago. Well, because in those days, absent affordable housing developments of that kind, there were very few African-Americans able to move in to afford the suburbs because of all the historical reasons that you've hinted at and that we all know about. And those gaps have just widened because the people who got on that escalator of prosperity in the 60s or 70s rode it right through the roof. The house that my parents bought for $30,000 in 1970, which would be about $200,000 in today's money, sold last year for a million dollars. Same house, same street, that $800,000 appreciation over and above inflation, uh, that was the prize for being in the right place at the right time. And only certain people could be in that right place at that right time and ride that escalator. Uh, You know, similarly, there's a debt owed uh, to the rest of the world because that intense era of suburbanization produced the biggest cloud of carbon dioxide that the world's ever seen. And even more than the industrialization of China, the suburbanization of America warmed up the planet. And now people are paying huge prices for that in poor parts of the planet where they're raked by storms and drought and so on. Those kind of debts in an honest world need to be repaid. And uh, the good news is we're so wealthy that we can afford to repay some of them. The question is whether we will or not, or whether that kind of selfishness that blocked town like Lexington from uh, building affordable housing in the first place uh, still prevails. So well put. It's a perfect segue to where I want to go, actually, because you really tied together the climate crisis and social justice racial justice. And and there's a reason that white people have held down black people and um, people of color all over the world. And the reasons we've done that are not exactly the same. The reasons we've 
the reasons we've poisoned the world and the reasons we've established white supremacy are not identical, but they're certainly related. And I just wonder if you could talk a little about, I think, what we call ecology, the interrelation of things, and how everything gets us to the same place. Yeah. The essential thing always to remember about the climate crisis, which is the biggest thing that humans have ever done, and by an order of magnitude, the essential thing to always remember about it is the less you did to cause it, the sooner and the harder you get hit. And of all the ways that we've ever figured out to make the lives of other people miserable, and it's a long list, racism and imperialism and colonialism and so on, uh, changing the temperature probably is the single most devastating. It's taking away from hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people, the most basic thing they need, which is the ability to feed their families. Uh, you know, if you grew rice in a field that your grandparents had grown it in, it was a good safe bet for dozens of generations that your grandchildren would be able to grow rice there too. But that's now a sucker's bet. Uh, the temperature is getting too high for people to work in the field. Vietnamese rice farmers are now planting at night with headlamps because it's too hot. And even that kind of accommodation will only last a few more years. All the computer models have most of the rice land in countries like Vietnam underwater by the middle of the century as sea levels rise along places like the Mekong Delta. Uh, nobody in Vietnam or any other country like it did anything to cause these troubles we're now in. Uh, they didn't emit enough carbon dioxide to be more than a rounding error in the calculations. And so we have a huge obligation to figure out how to make that right as fast as we possibly can. Stay tuned for more from me and Bill McKibben. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, folks. A word from our friends at Made In. Did you know that most of the dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in, made in pots and pans? The braised short ribs, made in, made in. The Rohan duck, made in, made in. The heritage pork chop, you got it, made in, made in. Which isn't surprising. Made in has been supplying top chefs and restaurants with high-end cookware for years. For the simple reason that Made In makes exactly what demanding chefs are looking for. Their carbon steel cookware, for example, combines the best of cast iron and stainless steel, gets super hot, and is rugged enough for grills or an open flame. 
Best of all, Made In is sold online, so their professional-grade cookware is far more affordable than other IN brands. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes on menus all around the world have in common. They're made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MadeInCookware.com. That's MadeInCookware.com. Thanks. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, folks. We have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code BITMAN. We're all drinking more water these days and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. 
Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. I think it goes without saying, but I, no one says it better than you. There's never been anything like this in human history, including the wars of the 20th century, including anything you can think of in terms, including the plague, in terms of a threat to human survival. Yeah, this is the only thing that humans have done that will be written into the geological record for hundreds of thousands of years. It'll be easy to see the disruption that came when we altered the chemical composition of the atmosphere and with it, the temperature of the planet. And by altering the temperature, you, uh, of course, change pretty much everything that happens on the surface of the earth. Only volcanic and tectonic forces are outside uh, that control because what you're doing is you change the temperatures, change the amount of energy in a closed system. And we're seeing that express itself in the most remarkable ways. We now have enormous forest fires in places where we've never seen forest fires before, three, four, five degrees of latitude north of where they've been before. The sea level is responding in ways that in the past it's responded only to periods of glaciation and interglaciation. Uh, uh, we're seeing storms, uh, floods on a scale that's never been observed before. Drought is turning entire parts of the world uninhabitable. Um, these are changes. Uh, well, I mean, the last time we've seen changes on this scale was 70 million years ago or so when a large asteroid slammed into the planet. But this time the asteroid is us. And, and the thing that makes it so frustrating is Mark, that we do not have to be doing it. Uh, we know how to prevent it. Uh, we have incredible technology. The cheapest way to generate power on Earth now is to point a sheet of glass at the sun. That's Hogwarts-scale magic. We could be expanding that in short order to every corner of the world. But toxic vested interest has kept us so far from doing that. And so what really will be written into the geological record is the incredible series of lies that the exons of the world have managed to get away with for 35 years uh, uh, and that have prevented us from acting in the ways that we need to and still do. It's a period of extraordinary frustration because there's so much we could be doing and we're doing so little. That's why we keep trying to build these 
big movements to try and shift that political power and hence shift that physical reality as fast as we can. You believe, and and I don't know anyone who knows this this stuff better than you do, so I tend to believe, but you believe that there's a crisis here, there's an emergency that needs to be dealt with immediately. But is there a, what, snowball's chance in hell? Is there a chance that that as alternative energy sources grow as in importance, which they've done, and that as less carbon and methane and nitrous oxide is dumped into the air and more is taken out, that things can get gradually better and stabilize without magic? Yes. I think the better way to say it is we could keep, we could, we could keep things from getting any worse than they need to get. We're not going to stop climate change. Sadly, that ship has sailed. I have to restrain myself sometimes. I wrote the first book about this 35 years ago almost now. And so there are times when I want to say to people, God, if only you'd listen to me when, you know. Um, But we're not going to stop global warming. We've raised the temperature of the planet one degree Celsius, 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a lot. It's melted most of the sea ice in the summer Arctic. We're on a trajectory at the moment to raise the temperature about three degrees Celsius, five, six degrees Fahrenheit. If we do that, we will not have civilizations like the ones we're used to. Too much violent flux and chaos. The work and it's the most important work that humans have probably ever engaged in, is to try very hard to hold that increase to two degrees Celsius or maybe even one and a half degrees Celsius. And if we did that, which would take an all-out effort, then we'd be in a difficult planet, but perhaps not an impossible one. And the margin would be greatest for people who are most vulnerable and poorest. So this is incredibly important work. And the reason that it's desperate, Mark, is that unlike the other political issues we're used to dealing with, this one comes with sharp time limits. It's not in the end a fight between Republicans and Democrats or rich people and poor people, though those things are all part of it. It's at its most basic level a fight between human beings and physics. And physics imposes sharp limits on what we can do and when we have to do it. If we don't solve this problem soon, and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has told us we need to chop emissions in half by 2030, if we don't solve it soon, then we will never solve it because we will pass tipping points that we can't reverse. Once the Arctic's melted, no one's got a plan for how you freeze it back up again. Okay, so the next question is about is a little bit about human nature. And before I ask it, I'm going to read a passage from Falter. And it it goes like this. By most accounts, we've used more energy and resources during the last 35 years than in all of human history that came before. Every economic assumption our governments make about the future requires doubling the size of the economy again, and then again, and then again, during the lives of the youngest people on the planet. So it's hard to make the argument that past performance indicates much about the future. It looks like the same game, but it's on new ground. In part, that's because the past is so short. We are the first acutely self-conscious species so wrapped up in our own story that we rarely stop to remember how short that story really is. 
Day to day, we forget that if the billions of years of life on Earth were scaled to a 24-hour day, our settled civilizations began about a fifth of a second ago. That short burst covers the taming of fire, the development of language, the rise of agriculture, and here I'm not quoting just about everything we take for granted. So my question for you, Bill, is what do you think our problem is here? What keeps us from seeing the big picture, from understanding both our own tininess and our own collective power, how short our lifespans are, but our accompanying ability to screw things up in a short period of time, or to make them alternatively, to make them good? Right. It's just the right question. And it's vested interest and inertia that get in the way. But if we tell news stories, then we have a chance of breaking through. I'll tell you the story that I've been telling this year that people are really understanding and responding to. For our 200,000-year career as a species, uh, human beings have specialized in setting things on fire. Uh, As you know, it's how we started cooking the food that allowed us to develop our large brains. Uh, The campfire was anthropologists think, one of the places where our species learned to be the social species that it is, all gathered around that flickering flame at night. When the Industrial Revolution came, burning stuff, coal, gas, oil, gave us modernity and the prosperity that we take for granted. But it's now producing huge problems. Climate change, nine million people a year die just breathing the combustion byproducts of fossil fuel. And so, Our great news at the moment is that because scientists have dropped the price of solar power and wind power and batteries 90% in the last decade, we stand at the moment when human beings could plausibly end combustion on any large scale uh, uh, within a matter of years. We could take full advantage of the fact that the good Lord hung a large ball of burning gas 93 million miles away in the sky, and we now have the wit to make full use of it. So that's a the kind of mythic, powerful story that we can and should be telling ourselves. And if we started doing that, the changes that would multiply around the world are just enormous. Just to give you one a sense of scale, 40% of all the ship traffic in the world is just used to move coal and oil and gas back and forth. You could have half as many ships out on the high seas because, you know, once you put up a solar panel, the sun delivers the energy for free every day when it rises above the horizon. That's a whole new story uh, for human beings. And that's the kind of thing we need to tell and quickly. Two more questions and one is trivial. So really one. (laughs) The other is not, though. I always get asked, and I'm sure you do also, I'm sort of hoping your answers are better than mine, what should I do if I changed my light bulbs and I drive an electric car and I eat more salads and maybe buy less stuff and recycle and reuse more of it, blah, blah, blah. What is the change I get involved in making that goes beyond me? Right. Well, just the right way to ask it. Uh, We're past the point where we can solve the climate crisis with individual action. You can't do it. You can't make the math work one Tesla at a time, one vegan dinner at a time. 
I'm, you know, I'm really proud that I have solar panels all over the roof and that they hook up to my EV. And But I don't try to fool myself into thinking that that's how we're going to do this. The most important thing an individual can do is be a little less of an individual and join together with others in movements large enough to change the basic economic and political ground rules. So that's why I've spent much of my life trying to set up those organizations and pick those fights that shift us in new directions. And I'll tell you about the one that we're working on this year, because it'll be of interest to you. Uh, uh, We've set up this operation called Third Act, which is an attempt to organize people over the age of 60 for progressive change. Uh, there are 60, 70 million of us over the age of 60. That's bigger than the population of France. Not only are there a lot of us, we vote like crazy. There's no known way to prevent old people from voting. So, so you know, we punch way above our weight in Washington. Not only that, we ended up with all the money. Uh, 70% of the country's financial assets belong to the baby boomers or the silent generation, compared with 5% for millennials. So we punch way above our weight on Wall Street. And Washington and Wall Street are the two places powerful enough to make the kind of change that might make a difference. So it's been really fun to start trying to organize older people to make a difference. The conventional wisdom and the reason that no one has done this for a long time is that people become more conservative as they age. But for the reasons that we were discussing at the beginning of this conversation, this is a very particular generation of older people. If you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s now, your first act was pretty good. You were around for that epic cultural, social, political transformation. Yeah, look, with noble exceptions, our second act was probably more about consumerism than it was citizenship. Uh, And that's a big reason that we've ended up the place where we are now. But that water's under the bridge. So now we've got resources. We've got a lifetime's worth of skills. We maybe have some time. And we have kids or grandkids, which take that abstract concept of legacy and make it very real. I mean, your legacy is the world you leave behind for the people you love the most. And so people have been flocking in to help and to figure out how to use this power. One of the things we're doing is taking on the big banks that bankroll climate change, uh, where people are by year's end, we're all going to get together to cut up our credit cards from Chase and Citi and Wells Fargo and B of A, uh, because these guys are sending trillions off to the oil industry. And hopefully we're doing it in the right spirit. A lot of cross-generational work. I was at a big protest outside a bank up here the, not long ago, and there were lots of high school kids there. So, of course, they're being a little spryer. We're up at the front of the march, but towards the back was a big cloud of older people marching under a banner that said, fossils against fossil fuels. <laughs> so uh, we're going to do our best to to kick some butt on the way out. I mean, you know, you and I are both a little nearer the exit than we are the entrance. That allows one some perspective, <laughs> and and it also sharpens the urgency. Uh, we know that our chances now are, are fewer to make change. You know, the number of times you or I are going to vote in the presidential election anymore or something, our, our, our 
probably now on the you can count on the fingers of one hand. Stop. <laughs> so so we've got work to do and time to do it in. And that urgency really translates, you know? It's good. It is good. Um, tell me the name of the organization again, or tell us the name of the organization again, but we'll we'll plug the website too. Third Act. And if you go to thirdact.org, you can join many, many, many other people who've been signing up. It's been lots of fun. Kind of your third act too, author, climate activist, age activist. <laughs> we ask everyone this question. It might be a little less relevant for you than it is for some others because we are a food show, supposedly. Um, what did you have for dinner last night? Oh. Uh, what did I have for dinner last night? That's a good guy. This is actually a more a test of my memory than <laughs> else. Speaking of I third had, act. Oh, I know, I know what I I know what I had. I was in, I had the great pleasure this spring of spending two weeks out in the wildest part of Alaska, uh, uh, way off on the camped on the uh, kind of outer shores of Glacier Bay. Uh, you know, didn't see any people, but we saw lots and lots and lots of grizzly bears and wolves mm. and things. And along the way, we caught a 140-pound halibut that fed us well uh, while we were there, and we managed to get some of it home, too. Uh, so I uh, took the last of it and made a uh, halibut chowder, which was awfully good. And good not only to taste, but because it brought back very sharp memories of uh, being out in that utterly remote and and beautiful place. And and I'll just end by saying this: when you're in a place, and there are not many of them left, like Alaska, where the world is filled with abundance, uh, it's always good to remember that that's what the entire world was like mm. not that long ago. Mm. There's nothing special about Alaska. You know, the Hudson River estuary was just as productive or Chesapeake Bay or San Francisco Bay or any of these other places, just as wild and filled with life. And and that's a good reminder that we've gotten things knocked a little bit out of balance and time to bring them back. And in the meantime, um, Alaska has a relatively sustainable fishery, so one can enjoy uh, the occasional halibut or, or uh, you know, Copper River salmon and get to think about all that. I mean, with all due respect to the dozens of guests who've been on the show before that, that was the best answer to that question I've heard <laughs> so far from the least likely source. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, Bill, thanks so much for joining me. Really a pleasure. I really, I love you. I can't wait to see you. Not just a pleasure for me, but an honor. Thank you so much for all, right. all the work that you do all the time. <laughs> Take care, brother. All right. I'll talk to you later this summer. Take it easy. All right. God Bye. bless you. Thank you once again to the brilliant, inspiring, motivated Bill McKibben. We can all learn a lot from him. As I'm sure you'll agree, follow him on Twitter at Bill McKibben. And to get involved with Third Act, follow at Third Act Org on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks to, to Kate Bittman, our producer and my usual co-host, and to Davis Lloyd, our engineer. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Come back next week when we will have somebody awesome. Thanks again.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.